0: Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC, as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 16,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you will visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hello, and welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC. I'm here today with Terry Rhodes, DMEC CEO, who has led DMEC since 2015 and has 30 years of experience in the integrated absence management field. Terry will be facilitating today's conversation with Karen English, Senior Vice President of Spring Consulting Group, an Alera Group company, who has been involved with the DMEC Employer Leave Management Survey since its inception. They're going to talk about findings from the 11th Annual Survey today. Terry, I'm going to pass this off to you to start the conversation.
1: Thank you, Heather. I am thrilled to be here today with Karen to talk about our survey and the results uh, from that survey. But first, I just thought maybe I could share some of the overarching highlights and uh, takeaways specifically around how leaves are managed. Um, so we know that you know FMLA has been around since 1993. Uh, But still today, there's a high percentage of employers who manage their FMLA programs internally. And so that's where the insourcing, the co-sourcing, and all the information we provide um, around staffing and how uh, whether a, a department is dedicated or has designated staff So there's just a lot of information around how do employers manage their basic obligations. But then I think some of the more recent uh, requirements for paid sick leave and paid family leave and then paid family and medical leave that um, are being implemented in many states Uh, We have some some really interesting information in the survey around those particular programs. And again, we're seeing that a number of employers, a high percentage of employers, are managing their paid leave programs internally, uh, particularly the paid sick leave component and the paid parental leave. Uh, A lot of times those are by employer policy and Then the paid family and medical leave trends. We're seeing that as, as states are being implemented, employers are trying to use their state systems to manage those obligations. So just at a high level, kind of a little uh, you know uh, tickler for you, so you can look more deeply into those. Um, those pieces in the survey, because I think paid sick leave, paid family leave is really at top of mind for for everyone today. So Karen, um, you've been involved in this um, project for um, many years with DMEC, and we've seen a lot of changes in the industry and how employers manage their obligations under all of these various programs. Can you share some of the biggest changes you've seen since our first survey? Of course, not just that the survey's longer and that we have more questions, but can you share what you've seen in terms of change?
2: Sure, Terry, and there's so much to say about this, uh, thinking about 11 years going and still going strong, right? Uh, But first off, you know, employer awareness levels and really sophistication around leave management has gone from zero to 100 over the years. Uh, Eleven years ago, employers really weren't sure if they were even subject to certain leave types. If you remember that in some of the questions that we asked, and now they are really proactively managing them. We've seen also their understanding of regulations and how to reduce compliance risk really sharpen over the years. And then, probably more most currently, approaches to ADA and accommodations are finally starting to formalize, like FMLA did long ago. I'd also just say that uh, employer use of data and reporting has increased and improved. And really, the focus on employee experience is coming through in the processes that employers are putting in place. And overall, I would just say what used to be kind of a misunderstood area has become a specialized career for so many people.
1: Can you also talk a little bit about how this survey is unique? What makes this survey different from other industry surveys that we see?
2: Absolutely, Terry. And I agree it is different. And when we set out together to create this so many years ago, we really did so with the goal of answering questions that other surveys didn't. So we, we wanted to really focus on the practical application of leave management. And that really translated into, you know, really reviewing how all the different leave types are managed. So employers can sort of benchmark how that's changed over time. So getting down into each type and as the years go on, there are more and more types of leave to consider. Uh, Of late, there's been more paid family and medical leave programs at the state level, paid parental, other other leave types such as that that we needed to add to the list. Uh, But really looking at those closely instead of just saying, you know, how do you manage absence? Um, It also means we ask about practices and processes that employers are doing in their day-to-day life. Uh, We really wanted to, you know, have employers be able to come away from reading the white paper, for example, each year, so they have something they can take back to their offices and, and apply with their teams.
1: When we look back at the original survey and the purpose of the survey, it was really to measure FMLA and how employers were managing FMLA. ADA wasn't really part of it. I mean, it's been there and employers have been struggling with managing ADA, but it wasn't a, a, a big component of the survey at, at the inception of the survey. And as we have progressed the last 11 years so have the obligations of employers and the complexity of the leave laws, the integration that's required. And I guess in looking at today's survey and thinking about where we were 11 years ago, it's surprising to me that so many employers still use manual processes And although that changes from year to year, there's still a significant number of employers that manage these leaves internally, and they don't use a vendor to help them, and they don't have a software solution. So when we talk about that, how can technology help with efficiencies and kind of Uh, And that uh, uh, question two is, and what are the ramifications of using a manual process?
2: Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to comment on that, Terry. I think I would just start with, you know, what's important to think about is that manual methods for tracking leave, they're not only time consuming, but they can result in human error, right? None of us are perfect. And when we're using paper, which I still have seen that happening today, if you can believe it, uh, paper files, or even an Excel spreadsheet, you know, there's going to be errors that are made because the level of input that is involved, you know, is is pretty heavy, Um, you know, and of course, the size of employer really drives how many inputs there are. You know their smaller employers will have more leaves, but you know, I have seen large employers, you know, in the above thousand or even above five thousand realm using spreadsheets. Now, they were good spreadsheets, advanced spreadsheets, but that time involved to input everything, um, go from one step to another, um, it's not, you know, it takes a lot of time and can be subject to errors. This then. You know, translates to compliance risk because when there isn't a workflow to guide you, even if you're using you know a checklist, key steps or uh, regulatory timelines can be easily missed. You know, we all know, you know, people get interrupted when they're doing their day to day work. A phone call might come in. Someone might, in the old days, come into your office and talk to you about something. Um, so there, that workflow to guide you is is not necessarily there when we're working with manual methods. And it really points to when we think about technology for leave management. And there's quite a few, you know, options for technology soft uh, leave management software, you know, specific to you know what we're talking about here, you know, they those kinds of tools can really help because they have regulatory-based business rules built in to them and they really drive actions. So there's more of a, this automated workflow that takes the user through the process and ensures that the response time is compliant. Um, they also provide letter and email templates right there within the CIF system that can be auto-populated. Uh, so the output of what you're doing is you know, more accurate Um, They also have then claimant data and information all in one place, so there can be helpful reporting on the back end, not only about what absence trends and patterns exist at an organization, but also for internal teams to manage their task lists and really look at their overall performance. Are they getting letters out within a certain day? Are they conducting their approval and denial processes within regulatory guidance um, and things like that. So it's really safeguarding the process, right, instead of relying on a person to understand and conduct every single step within the right timelines and in compliance um, with the various federal, state and even local laws that they might be subject to. And we recently had the opportunity to uh, include an article for the At Work magazine where we talked about some of the technology options out there. If people haven't had a chance to look at, that might be a good reference point. But we did mention in that article that there are a lot of different ways and opportunities to use technology within the lead management process. We talked about employee communications, decision support tools, data exchange, and of course, the case management process you know that that we're talking about here with moving from manual to more of a workflow. But ideally, all of these, you know would be woven into one solution. And we're really at a point in this stage, you know, thinking back to your first question about what has changed <laughs> over time. We're really at a point where employees expect digital options for interaction, right? All of us are, uh, whether we like it or not, are using our phone all the time. We're going to websites that, that have even workflow there, portals where we do things. It's just become, you know, the way people are interacting. So really, you know, best practice is for an employer to really look at their current state operations against these areas so they can identify gaps to fill and you know folks might find they have technology within their organization that could be leveraged or something they could add to their process but when you think about the amount of time involved in manual process you know the number of people it takes to manage leave the amount of time a manager needs to spend interacting with that team and the risk of even just one lawsuit The cost benefit analysis or ROI uh, of using technology becomes really clear and in some cases, you know, obvious when you think about all of those costs that are being expended, right, that you can quantify. Um, compared to making it more efficient and less time-consuming with software.
1: Karen, I'm so glad that you mentioned that technology article that we published in the January issue of At Work magazine. There was so much information in there about how technology helps employers. So a little pitch here. If you haven't already read the article, please do. There's a lot of information there. And I'm going to switch gears now um, and talk about the part of the survey where we reference training and education. And this has been an area that has been in the survey every single year where employers tell us that they need training for their supervisors and managers and that it's very difficult. And We know that frontline supervisors are the ones who are talking with their employees. An employee may say something to them that they're suffering from some kind of issue that may prevent them from performing their work or working up to par. And unbeknownst to that supervisor or manager, they've just been put on notice. And so one of the things that DMEC did um, in recognition of this is we developed the supervisor training for managers and supervisors on FMLA and ADA. And it's not how to manage FMLA or ADA. It's really how to understand when an employee has triggered the employer for an FMLA or ADA event. And this is a, a simple little video. It's an animated video. Um, hundreds of employers have taken advantage of this training. And, you know, it's a way for employers to do low-cost training for their managers and supervisors. And given the fact that the Department of Labor and the EEOC has penalized employers, particularly when managers and supervisors don't understand their obligations under the law. Uh, we think this is a timely timely education piece.
2: Yeah, and I agree with you, Terry. We, we see that every year in the survey, right? Um, that this is a challenge for uh, organizations and also completely agree with you, the methods for training, you know, have expanded and really improved, right? Um, Employers have a lot of options at their fingertips, including, you know, manager training that that DMEC can offer to them. Uh, but at the same time, the complexity of leave has increased. So even though there's more tools, more options for them, you know, the 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 bar keeps rising on you know how um, how complex things are getting out there, and that's happening at the same time that managers and supervisors. You know have more on their plates right especially with the pandemic the last few years and all of those all of the new things that brought to bear for so many people um, we've got everyone moving more quickly uh, and i think what it kind of boils down to is we're at a point now where managers need and really everybody need things in kind of digestible bites right we there was a time where you know training was really focused on making sure managers understood what FMLA was, understood what ADA was, understood all the intricacies of the different leave types, where now we are really wanting managers to just understand what they need to do next, recognize that it might be an FMLA or an ADA event, for example. I know we've talked about that quite a bit, Terry, in just our discussions and and the various trainings, Uh, but being able to recognize when they need to do something and then what they need to do next more so than knowing the ins and outs of every single leave type, every single law that an employee might be subject to.
1: This is a great segue into our next discussion point, which is the different rules that absence management professionals juggle in addition to leave management, meaning Are you a one-person HR department? And so you're recruiting, you're doing performance review management, you're doing payroll, you're doing leaves, or are you a 200 department where you've got segmented duties of somebody's managing the leave, somebody's doing return to work, you've got a payroll department supporting you. So there's lots of different ways that leave management can be done within an organization. So Karen, can you talk a little bit about what we've seen over the years, and what this means for people who are working in absence management?
2: Of course. And again, the change is, you know, rapid, right, that we see uh, from year to year. And I think, like you said, you know, the people in the field, there's there's more people that have experience in this area. I remember back to when the, the pool of people that knew about LEAVE uh, was very small. And now it is uh, you know, significantly expanded. Uh, but I think the other thing that we've evolved to is how companies structure their staff at their organization. You know, Some companies have yeah. dedicated staff that handle LEAVE. Um, well, others have more designated meaning. They work to man- they work on leave management, but they also work on all of the other things you just mentioned. You know, including time coding or reporting and analytics. The list kind of goes on and on, and varies by employer, right? It really varies how how the team is structured. Um, you know, are they centralized or decentralized? Uh, you know that. That really makes a, a big difference at a company. Um, so I think the things that have really changed are around the structure, around the activities, around the education level. And I think overall, whether a program is insourced or, or outsourced, I think in the industry there's you know just acknowledgement that there's got to be some liaison with the employee even if it is outsourced, right? It, outsourcing doesn't mean completely wiping your hands of all responsibilities around leave. It's more of a shifting of of certain activities to an outsource vendor and continuing to have that linkage up with employees. So the way an employer goes about it, in source versus outsource, uh, the structure of that team, and then really the connection that they want to have with the employee so they're really Trying to make that employee experience as positive as possible, I think is really you know where we've gotten to in the industry.
1: And, and that's a really good segue, uh, Karen. Into how does the absence and disability professional use this report?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And the report has gotten longer, along with the questions, <laughs> like you mentioned. Uh, But we really try to, you know, provide an executive summary first with the key takeaways. Uh, Then we delve into the details with both wording and graphics. And for an employer that really wants to take a look at it, you know, we do um, help them see, you know, how how do their approaches compare to their peers overall down to the specific leave type, as I mentioned, whether it be FMLA, state leave, statutory DBL, PFL or PFML. I can't help but use acronyms, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're everywhere. Um, Municipal or county leave, military leave. So we give overall information and then information by size and industry when there's enough data for it to be credible. Um, We do state the participant sizes with the graphic so um, a, a user or a reader can really look at it not only in you know, what's the current state? There's commentary about how that varies from the prior year and sometimes even further back. And then we do that same thing with best practices. You know, what is the best practice in a certain area? How might they implement things at their organization? And then we also kind of close the survey with, you know, how leave management has and is expected to change over time so they can be thinking about what might come next.
1: And You know, we've we've been talking about this survey as an employer leave management survey and focused on employers. And, you know, obviously the employers are the ones who respond to the survey, but this survey is used very broadly within our professional community, meaning brokers and consultants use the survey insurance carriers and third party administrators use the survey as a matter of fact i have many of them asking me every year when the survey is going to publish because it's such become such an industry mainstay and has such valuable information so you know, for those of you who are listening out there, yes, there's a lot of valuable information about employers and how they manage their programs, but the survey is used. Um, and we're very proud of this fact um, by our industry community. I'd like to talk a little bit about the benchmarking questions that we have added to the last 2 years' survey. Benchmarking is so important to... An employer's program. It, you know, it, it's valuable data about what you're doing and how you're doing it. But in addition to that, we have we're collecting data so that industry and employer size can be compared to your own programs. For example, what is your waiting period look like for short-term disability? How much pay? Um, do you provide? Are there a, is there an elimination period? What happens with long term disability? Um, what's happening with your bereavement leave? So there's so much information in this survey around benchmarking. So, Karen, could you talk a little bit about why companies would need benchmarking data, and then maybe provide some more specifics around the questions that maybe I didn't cover.
2: I'm really excited about the benchmarking survey that DMEC is doing and the kinds of information we're going to be able to make available to members and, you know, the industry at large and even the way we're we're going to be able to make it available. Um, you know, we're really focusing on employer plans and policies so that Employers have, you know, a solid set of benchmarks that they can turn back to. So, you know, first to one of your questions, you know, why do companies need benchmarking data? I think the very first aspect of it is to understand if their program performance is normal or what they should be expecting. I'm using quotes. You can't see me, but I'm using my fingers <laughs> for quotes around that. Because you know, I've had employers ask me just that. Are we on the right track? You know, okay, this is I see the experience here, but is that is that where we should be, or should we be thinking about something different? Um, you know, if the answer to that question is no, you know, or even I don't know, <laughs> benchmarking can really help answer that. So, you know, sometimes it's it it's used to validate program structure or practices and in other cases it's used to support why a change should be made and so i think one of the great things about benchmarking is wherever an employer is in their process it can come into play right tell me if i'm on the right track is this where we should be you know should we be thinking about something that differently, you know, our peers handling their policies differently than us and why? Right? Benchmarking prompts questions. Um, You know, why are other people doing it differently? And are we okay with how we're doing it? You know, just in understanding more what the reasons behind it? Or is it time to make a change? You know, making a change at a company, you know, we've been talking about how busy everybody is, and, you know, how, how bandwidth is, is just a problem everywhere. You know, if if it, if a employer wants to make a change to their plan or policy, depending on their environment, that might not be such a quick thing. And so data and benchmarks to show, you know, we're, we need to make this change because what we have is not competitive, for example. It's not helping us attract and retain employees. You now, having that data in a succinct fashion or manner really can help you know, an absence professional, bring that to whoever they need to at their organization to make the need clear.
1: We just released our standalone benchmarking survey, April 25th. And this survey will be conducted every other year. And our leave management survey will be conducted every other year. So this year, you're not going to see a leave management survey, but you will see the benchmarking one. And next year, you'll see the leave management survey, but not the benchmarking one. Hope that wasn't too confusing. But in any event, uh, please do participate. Please do take the time to answer the questions. And um, we're excited about the opportunity to provide some detailed benchmarking program information to employers. Karen, thank you so much for your participation today. It was a joy talking with you and getting your perspective and also um, being able to provide more information around how employers are managing their leave of absence programs. So again, thank you.
2: Thank you, Terry. I always enjoy talking with you and um, sharing the passion we both have for this topic.